0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: Welcome to the program, everybody. Today, I am still discussing the origin of life The information in the DNA molecule and the evidence it gives to design. In Darwin's time, few, if any, talked about biological or genetic information. But today, the topic of conversation routinely refers to DNA, RNA, and proteins as carriers or repositories of information. Scientists tell us that DNA stores and transmits genetic information, that it expresses a genetic message, that it stores assembly instructions, a genetic blueprint, or a genetic code. For scientists seeking to explain the origin of life, one of the most important clues is life itself. Alexander Oparin, one of the proposers of the theory of the origin of life known as the primordial soup theory, had this to say. The problem of the nature of life and the problem of its origin have become inseparable. In the article, The Protoplasm and the Gene by Harmka Kaminga said At the heart of the problem of the origin of life lies a fundamental question. What is it exactly that we are trying to explain the origin of? In other words, what kind of properties would we require a model of primitive living systems to exhibit? And what would its most plausible chemical and molecular makeup be? From ancient times, humans have known a few basic facts about living things. The first is that all life comes from life. In other words, life produces life. The second fact is that living things reproduce themselves. The resulting offspring resemble their parents. Like produces like where does the capacity to reproduce reside? Third, we could ask the same questions regarding the capacity to metabolize food to grow and maintain life. Several naturalistic theories about how life began on Earth have been proposed. One is the theory that life began in a pond of primordial soup. This theory developed from ideas by Charles Darwin, Alexander Oparin, and J.B.S. Haldane. The Miller-Urey experiment in 1952 seemed to validate a core element of that theory by producing amino acids, the very building blocks of proteins. In the experiment, these amino acids came from basic compounds and energy. Proteins, we know, are the key building blocks for life. This hugely important experiment initiated origin of life science based on chemistry. Subsequent research, however, has disproven the traditional primordial soup theory, despite it still being taught in schools. Two reasons contributed to this theory's demise. First, the sun's ultraviolet light would have been destructive to key molecules, organic compounds, and early life. Second, oxygen in the atmosphere would have corrupted the creation of amino acids. Second, some scientists theorize that the building of life could have been created in hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean away from ultraviolet light and free oxygen. Third, other scientists disagree and have suggested other theories. One such theory is called Transpermia. This theory has life appearing on Earth from a planet elsewhere in space. But this only moves the problem back just one step. we still need to know how life began elsewhere. The issues that exist on Earth still exist on another planet, and the environment there is likely to be far less hospitable. Regarding transpermia, it is known that spores can't survive the intense level of radiation found in outer space. So seeding life from elsewhere is just not possible. As with the primordial soup theory, there are many issues of the origin of life based on chemical processes and random chance that make them equally implausible. All these alternate theories rely heavily on random chance and luck. Relying on luck is a poor excuse for science. Who will want to support the theory? that relies on luck. So the end result of these alternate theories came down to the primary focus on the activity going on inside the cell. Scientists came to the conclusion that life does not simply consist of matter and energy alone, but also on information. Since matter and energy were around for a long time before life, This third aspect of living systems have now taken center stage. At some point in the history of the universe, biological information came into existence. But the question still remains, where does this biological information originate? For theories that hope to explain the origin of the first life, it is imperative to answer this last question. The French scientist Jacques Monod, in his 1968 book, Chance and Necessity, nicely summarized the naturalistic possibilities. He said, if you want to explain something naturalistically, you will have three basic approaches. First is to rely on chance and random variation of some kind. The second approach is what Monod calls necessity, the scientific code word for relying on natural laws. For example, if I drop a ball, it will fall to the earth by necessity according to the law of gravity. And Monod said there is a third approach which combines the two approaches. That is what Darwin did in combining natural selection and random variation in his evolutionary theory. That combination of the first two approaches, Minot says, is an acceptable scientific approach. Thus addressing the origin of life from a naturalistic point of view, then you will explain by either chance, necessity, or the combination of the two. What Stephen Meyer shows in his book Signature of the Cell is that these three forms of explanation for the origin of life all fail. I will eventually make the same point. So life consists of matter, energy, and information. So what exactly is information? And more pointedly, what is biological information? Beginning in the 1940s, mathematicians and computer scientists began to make distinctions between several distinct types of information. What kind of information does DNA actually possess? What is the origin of that kind of information? In my 1967 Random House Dictionary, the first definition of information says that it is Knowledge communicated or received concerning a particular fact or circumstance. But since neither DNA nor cellular machinery that receives its instruction set is a conscious agent nor has a mind, the idea of equating biological information with knowledge doesn't quite seem to fit. Stephen Meyer, in his book, Signature in the Cell, page 86, relates. But our English dictionaries point to another common meaning of information that does apply to DNA. Webster's Dictionary has a second definition that defines information as the attribute inherent in and communicated by alternative sequences and arrangements of producing specific effects. Information, according to this definition, equals an arrangement or string of characters, specifically one that accomplished a particular outcome or performed a communication function. Thus, in common usage, we refer not only to sequence of English letters in a sentence, but also to a block of binary code in the software program as information. Information, in this sense, does not require a conscious recipient of a message. It merely refers to a sequence of characters that produces some specific effect. This definition suggests a definite sense in which DNA contains information. DNA contains alternative sequences of nucleotide bases and can produce a specific effect. Of course, neither DNA nor the cellular machinery that uses its information is conscious, but neither is a paragraph in a book or a section of software or the hardware in the computer that reads it. Yet clearly software contains a kind of information. There are important distinctions to be made when talking about information in DNA. Rather than information defined as a piece of knowledge by a conscious person, it can be defined as a sequence of characters or arrangements of something that produce a specific effect. Whereas the first definition doesn't seem to apply to DNA, the second one certainly does. The concept of information theory developed by the MIT engineer and mathematician Claude Shannon would be important here, but I am in the weeds of technical details already, so at the moment I will spare you of more details. Let me close this episode of the program with some comments regarding answering the ultimate questions. If you're a fan of some TV game shows, you're probably aware of the TV show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Then you probably know that each contestant can uh, use lifelines when they are uncertain about uh, the answer to a question. This use of lifelines symbolized the way many people think about life's ultimate questions. Some people hope they will make it to heaven. They think they have at least a 50-50 chance. They're trying to do enough good things to get in. Another lifeline was that they could phone a friend. Some people do what their friends do think what their friends think, and are counting on their friends to be right about ultimate truth. A third uh, lifeline was to ask the audience. Others accept the majority view. If New Age is in, they follow it. If 60% of the country rejects the Bible, they reject the Bible. If nuns is the answer many people give to their choice of religions, then they join the crowd and go by the same label. Others may offer some objections, saying something like this. God would never send a good person like me to hell. So my question to you is, what
0: is your lifeline? with Joe Mott.